Good morning. Let's bow in prayer. Father, as we look into your word now, I pray that you would speak to us. Let us have hearts that are eager to hear from you. I pray that uh, as we conclude this study in 1 Timothy, that you would bring to mind the things that we have seen in it all along, and that you would drive home those things that we uh, need to put into action in our own lives. And so, Father, be glorified as we look at your word, and then be glorified in our lives as we live out your word in the lives you have called us to live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are here at the last uh, study in 1 Timothy, uh, a study we began in uh, April. Uh, and I said at the beginning of our study in 1 Timothy that the superhighway that runs through this book is this theme of building the church, helping a church to get and stay healthy. Now, Paul was helping Timothy do this for the church that he was leading in Ephesus. And so building the church has served as the title of this series. And the way we've approached the series is by looking at what it takes to build the church, to help a church get strong and healthy. Uh, and we looked at a number of themes, actually 21 of them, uh, over the last five months by way of helping a church to get and stay healthy. Uh, things like relational depth, the commitment to God's work, uh, sound doctrine, a grace orientation, uh, those sorts of things. And I wish that we could say, uh, now that we're finishing the book of 1 Timothy, we've done it. We've done it. We accomplished it. We have built the church by God's grace. We have arrived. Uh, but you know, I can't say that, right? Any more than Paul could say that after he finished writing this letter to Timothy, or Timothy could say it after he had read it to the church at Ephesus. The fact of the matter is that the task of building the church is never done. Uh, it's always in process, and Jesus is the one who has promised, I will build my church. We get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of what Jesus is doing in building his church. We are the, the living stones that he is using to build his church. But living stones are, are notoriously difficult to work with, right? They're always moving. Uh, they're always shifting. They're always uh, growing. And uh, so living stones, uh, building with those can be a challenge. And the reality is that all of the churches that we see in the New Testament had their issues. When somebody says to me, I want us to be a New Testament church, I just kind of go, really? Which one? Which one? Because they all had their issues, and they all had letters written to them that, that are our New Testament that talked about dealing with those issues. And so every one of them had issues, and so do we. But that is a part of the genius of God's design in the church. 
in the church, God brings together all sorts of different people. People we probably wouldn't choose on our own. He has brought them together, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, just as he wanted them. And he brings together all these different peoples with different levels of maturity, whether it's physical maturity from from the wee ones up to the old ones, uh, levels of emotional maturity from people with uh, low EQ to high EQ, people with all levels of spiritual maturity, uh, from babes in Christ to people who are mature in Christ. Very different people that God brings together. And all different types of gifts and all different types of motivation for using those gifts. And then he puts us all together and he grows us as we rub up against one another like heavenly sandpaper to take our rough edges and make them smooth. It's a brilliant design. And so there is no perfect church. And if you ever find one, don't join it. It won't be perfect anymore. And there will be no perfect church until God's people are all together in heaven. And until then, amen. Until then, we struggle. Uh, We struggle with sin. We struggle individually and corporately. And we trust in Christ who is at work in the midst of all of it, growing us into Christ-likeness as individuals and corporately. And so, We end our study in 1 Timothy as we began it with the realization that we need this word. We need it. We need it. And we need to do more than just understand it. We need to stand under it. It needs to be more than head knowledge. It needs to find its way from our heads to our hearts and find expression in our hands. We need to apply it to our lives and be transformed into the likeness of Christ as we do. So when we began this journey back in April, I was really pleasantly surprised by discovering just how much Paul packed into the first two verses of 1 Timothy. You know, we normally look at that and it says greeting in our Bible, you know, the heading greeting, and we go, well, blow by that get into the meat of things. No, 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 no. Those first two verses were just packed. And I am equally pleasantly surprised to arrive at the last two verses of 1 Timothy and see that they are packed as well. Take a look at them again with me. Starting at chapter 6, verse 20. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, Some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Did that say anything you've heard before? Like over these last five months? Grab your Bibles. If you don't have one, grab one out of the the chair in front of you and and flip open because I I really want us to to take a, a quick walk through 1 Timothy and look at these Themes that are really stated again in the last two verses of the book. 
and, and see how Paul has, has brought these themes out throughout the whole thing. So in chapter 1, verse 3, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. There it is. Again, this idea of avoiding the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Different doctrine in 1.3. And in 1.4, he says, charge them not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. In chapter 1, verse 6, certain persons have wandered away. They, they have departed the faith, wandered away into vain discussion. Chapter 1, verse 18, this charge I entrust to you. Uh, verses 19 and 20 of chapter 1, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Chapter 4, verse 1, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Chapter 4, verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Chapter 4, verse 13, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Chapter 4, verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Chapter 6, starting at verse 2, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, and does not agree with the sound works of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Chapter 6, verse 10, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Chapter 6, verse 11, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And chapter 6, 20 and 21, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. These last two verses of 1 Timothy are like a summary of the book. Keep the main thing the main thing. Have done with lesser things. It's the old broken record again. There it is, the old Victrola. It reminds me of uh, the story of uh, someone who came up to a pastor on an Easter Sunday morning and said, Preacher, you're stuck. Every time I come here, you're talking about the resurrection. Let that sink in. Kids, you can go tell your parents, I don't get it. Five minutes from now, I'll hear someone go, oh, okay. Anyway, three points today. First, guard the deposit. Second, avoid the babble. Third, what's at stake? First, guard the deposit. I went through the New Testament looking at the places where the words deposit and entrusted are used. And uh, it, was, it was a fascinating study. Let me just give you some of them here. In Romans 3, verse 2, Paul is speaking to the question of whether the Jews have any advantage over the Gentiles in this whole gospel thing. And he says, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. You think about that for a moment. You know, oracles in, in the Bible are, uh, are divine utterances. The Jews were entrusted with the self-revelation 
of God. That is an amazing thing to be entrusted with. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 17, Paul is speaking his, of his compulsion to preach the gospel. And he says, if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. And Paul sees this, this task of preaching the gospel as a stewardship that has been entrusted to him by God. What an amazing privilege. What an amazing responsibility. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul is speaking about his meeting with the apostles when he came to Jerusalem after his conversion. And he says, on the contrary, when they saw I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. So both Paul and Peter had been entrusted with preaching this gospel to different groups of people. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And so, coming out of that, he preaches the gospel because he's been entrusted with it. And uh, not altering it to please man, but keeping it pure to please God. In 1 Timothy 1.11, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. The gospel of the glory of the blessed God. And that deposit has been entrusted to him. Same theme, entrusted with the sacred deposit, the gospel. 1 Timothy 6.20, our text for today. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Guard that deposit. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul is speaking of his suffering for this gospel that he's been entrusted with. He says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now, if that brings to mind a song you learned a long time ago, uh, the song was probably based on the King James Version, right? For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And so you get the feeling that it's something I have entrusted to God's keeping. And here in the ESV, it's God has entrusted it. Hello. Okay, I don't think we need that for the rest of the service. Here in, in the ESV, it's God has entrusted this gospel to me. And, and literally, uh, what it says is, uh, it is guard my deposit. And you can see where that could go two ways. Guard the deposit given to me, guard the deposit I have given to God. And I think that as we look at his use of these words, I, I think the ESV's got it right. It's, it's to guard this deposit that has been given to me. God is doing it. We don't guard that deposit on our own strength. 
It's God's strength that matters in the guarding of this deposit. So much so that he can say here that God guards it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Again, and then Titus chapter 1, verse 3, at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Paul's taking this very seriously. He sees his responsibility to preach as a trust that God has given him by God's command. So this sacred deposit that's given to us by God is something that we are to guard and preserve. And so Timothy, uh, Paul uses a, a passive voice in this, guard the deposit entrusted to you. That's passive. Raises the question then, who entrusted it? Who entrusted it to Paul? Who entrusted it to Timothy? Who entrusts it to us? This is a, a construction known as the divine passive. Uh, it, is, it is pointing to God without using his name. He gets the credit. He has entrusted this deposit to us. And who it is that entrusts something to us makes a huge difference. I think about when I was learning to drive and my dad entrusted his car to me. Big deal, entrusting his car to me. Or I think of when Tina and I were dating and I went to her dad to ask permission to marry her and he entrusted his daughter to me. Bigger deal, right? And I think about when God called me to be a pastor and entrusted a flock to my care. Huge deal. Huge deal. And when he entrusted the task of preaching this gospel, enormous deal, right? Who entrusts something to us makes a world of difference. And so in living out this trust, we need to do it with the realization that God has entrusted it to us, and we need to be careful to preserve it. We can't alter the message of the gospel to make it say what we may want it to say. James talked about this in chapter 3, verse 1, when he said, not many of us should uh, aspire to be teachers because those of us who teach will be held to a stricter judgment. And I think that the passage that we looked at uh, earlier in the service from 1 Corinthians 3 speaks of that stricter judgment. Paul talks about laying a foundation that is the only foundation you can lay, and that is Christ. But in the context of speaking about these different teachers, Cephas and Apollos and, and such, um, these are people who have built on that foundation. And he says, let, let everybody be careful how he builds. He's talking, I think, about the teachers here who will face a stricter judgment. And it is that judgment by fire that 1 Corinthians 3 talks about that, that can burn up everything that they have done, but the foundation if they have built with less than worthy materials. And so who entrusts something to us is of vital importance. And for all of us, in the gospel of Christ, we have a body of truth entrusted to us. It is the good deposit, and we need to guard it carefully. 
Protect it. Preserve it. Don't let anybody mess with it. And because it was entrusted to us by God, we need to take our responsibility very seriously. I have a confession to make. In, in the last, oh, I'd say two months, I read a book written by a liberal. How about that? I was attracted by the title. Uh, I get these weekly offerings for ebooks, and for a couple of bucks, I can put them on my Kindle. Uh, the title of this one was Love Matters More. And the write-up on it talked about all of the divisions we're finding in churches these days and, and how love matters more. And I thought, all right, let's, let's give that a read. It's worth $2. I'll try it out. And uh, what I found was the author took the standard liberal approach to say, we can't know truth exhaustively, and so we can't be totally certain of any truth. And so whatever we do in the name of love is more important than truth. Sort of a standard liberal line. And he went on from that premise to suggest we need to modify the scriptures to fit our times. And then he points to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. You know the section where Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And so we, we need to do that same thing with the Bible. What do you say to that? I would suggest that the doctrine of Scripture speaks to that in at least three ways that I can think of. One is what we call the inspiration of Scripture. Uh, the writers of Scripture were inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us God's self-revelation in a unique way. We do not carry that same level of inspiration ourselves. We can take and apply God's Word. We need to understand God's Word and stand under it and apply it to our lives, but we cannot rewrite it for our times. The inspiration of Scripture. Second bit of the doctrine of Scripture has to do with the clarity of Scripture. The old word was perspicuity. The perspicuity of Scripture. The clarity of Scripture. And, and that tells us that God hasn't revealed everything there is to know about Him because our minds are finite. We'll be learning about Him and growing in our ability to worship Him through eternity. But simply because we haven't seen it all yet doesn't mean that He hasn't been clear in what He has revealed to our finite minds. He has been clear and we can understand and trust in what He has revealed. And the third piece of the doctrine of Scripture that I think speaks to that has to do with the canon of Scripture. What is included in Scripture, these 66 books of Scripture form the canon of Scripture, and the canon is closed. We do not add to it ourselves. What we need to do is to guard the deposit that's been entrusted to us. Keep it without changing it. We have been entrusted by God with it. It is the sacred deposit. Now you may ask, entrusted for what purpose? For the purpose of living it. For the purpose of sharing it. For the purpose of passing it along unaltered 
to another generation. Tina and I uh, got a surprise phone call this week. It was from our eight-year-old grandson, Tyler. And uh, Tyler got on the line and said, Grandma, Papa, I, I have something to tell you. I decided to trust Jesus tonight. He trusted Christ for his salvation. What a joy! What a joy! Our desire was to pass this gospel on to our children, and they are now passing it on to theirs. It is a sacred trust given to us, and and we just rejoice in seeing it go on to the next generation. Guard the deposit and trust it to you. Now, Someone may look at these couple of verses in 1 Timothy and say, well, now, wait a minute. That was Paul talking to Timothy. That, he's not talking to us there. He's talking to Timothy there. Does this apply only to Paul to Timothy conversation? Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you just flip over a page, at verse 2, Paul says, what you have heard from me... He's writing to Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four generations of the transmission of the gospel there. Paul to Timothy, to faithful men, to others. That transmission goes on and on as we guard the deposit and pass it along unaltered the next generation. And that has now reached us. Guard the deposit. Um, Do you know that uh, when William Carey wanted to take the gospel to India in order to be obedient to the Great Commission, the prevailing opinion of the time was that the Great Commission applied to the original apostles and not to us. That was Jesus talking to them. That's not our business. When William Carey uh, made an appeal at a church meeting to reach lost people for Christ on the basis of the Great Commission, the pastor of that church told him, sit down, young man. If God wants to save the heathen, he will do it himself. In every age until Jesus returns, the Great Commission is our mandate. It's for us, and it's for every generation after us. And along the way, we need to guard that deposit to pass it along intact to the next generation. The future of Christianity depends on it. Guard the deposit. Second point. Avoid the babble. Avoid the babble. It's time for a little Greek again. This is our friend Ulysses. You may have met him a few weeks ago. He is a little Greek. So now that you know Ulysses, you can say, I know a little Greek. So a little Greek here, uh, this word babble translates the Greek word uh, kenophonia. Uh, Kenos means empty, phone means sound. Uh, the, the babble, it, it's empty sounds. It has no ultimate meaning. Uh, the word contradictions, 
It translates the Greek word antithesis. We get our English word, what? Antithesis from that very directly. An antithesis is a statement that contradicts another statement. And so Paul is saying here, these things are contradicting one another. God's word never does. And he speaks about what is falsely called knowledge, and that word is gnosis, uh, from which we get Gnosticism. You know, in the medical world, you know, prognosis, diagnosis, it's all about knowing something that is coming. Uh, and so, you know, these three words are, are just uh, amazing in terms of what they convey about the, the teaching that is going on in the church at Ephesus that Paul tells Timothy, stay away from that stuff. These are lesser things. This is not the main thing. Guard the deposit. That's the main thing. Babel, contradictions, false knowledge. It's a theme that runs through the whole letter. Flip open again to chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Different doctrine he speaks about. Different doctrine. Myths and endless genealogies, speculations. In chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, he speaks about Hymenaeus and Alexander who have made shipwreck of their faith by following a different doctrine. In chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, he speaks about deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, people who forbid marriage and the eating of certain foods. They've got their focus on the wrong thing. Chapter 4, verse 7, he speaks about irreverent, silly myths. Chapter 6, verses 3 to 5, he speaks about different doctrine, controversy, quarrels about words. And Paul calls it all babble. Contradictions, not real knowledge. Do you suppose that those things sounded convincing to some people? Absolutely they did. Absolutely. That's how cults survive today. Uh, Those things are convincing to some people. But we need to avoid the babble and focus on the main thing, the gospel, the sacred deposit entrusted to us. I will make the point one last time here as we exit 1 Timothy. It is not just false doctrine that Paul condemns in this book. It's different doctrine. Uh, it's, it's another little bit of Greek that we looked at before. It's not pseudo, which means false. It's, it's hetero, which means different. And so it's different doctrine than the main thing, which is the gospel of Christ. Don't focus on anything but the gospel. It will take you off course and distract you from your mission. Guard the deposit. Avoid the babble. And the third point, what's at stake? What's at stake? Verse 21, some have swerved from the faith. Those are really tragic words. Some have swerved from the faith. He's talking about people who aren't walking with the Lord anymore. It's disastrous. The stakes are really high. This is serious stuff. People are lost because of it. Paul has already mentioned people in this book who have swerved from the faith. Hymenaeus and Alexander in chapter 1 made shipwreck of their faith. 
In 4.1, he says, Some have departed from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. In chapter 6, verse 10, he says, By craving money, some have wandered away from the faith. In chapter 6, verse 21, he says, By professing Babel, some have swerved from the faith. These were people Timothy knew. Have you ever known someone who has wandered from the faith? Someone who has swerved, someone who isn't walking with the Lord anymore. It's heartbreaking. I've got friends whose grown kids aren't walking with the Lord anymore. They were given a good foundation, but they strayed, took their eyes off the main thing. What got them started? It's losing focus. It's taking your eyes off the gospel. Before farmers started planting their crops by GPS, they used to plant their crops by DAP. You know what DAP is? It's a distant aiming point. You pick a spot uh, in line with where you want your initial row to go, as far out as you can see, some spot out on the horizon, and you fix your eye on that spot as you plant that initial row, and you don't look away from it for a second. I worked on a farm one summer, and the farm manager used to enjoy driving past other people's fields, and he'd, he'd stop, he'd go, see that one? Look at that one. He took his eye off. And, and you could see, at some point, the row swerved. And by degree, you can be really far off by the time you get to the other end of a 40. You can be way off. And so they would plant by DAP. They would put their eyes on that distant aiming point and not take them off. But when you swerve, the effect is huge by the time you get further out. This word swerved comes from a word that means mark, and literally it's missing the mark. It's, it's swerving from the faith, and, and you do that by degree. And you do it when you focus on lesser things. And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't concerned about some of the things that have become matters of focus here. Things that are taking our focus off of the main thing, which is the gospel. We have been placed in a community that needs a gospel witness. That's our mission. We're surrounded by people who don't know the Lord. People who will be lost forever without Him. And we've gotten bogged down in some issues that can't compare with the value of this sacred deposit that has been given to us. This theme is written all over 1 Timothy. I pray that you will see it and humbly receive it. What's at stake is enormous. It's people's eternal destiny. And not just ours. It's the destiny of the people that we are not reaching at this point, that's at stake. Guard the deposit. Avoid the babble. 
The stakes are enormous. And Paul ends this letter with these words, grace be with you. Grace be with you. couple observations. First, the you there is plural. This is a letter that wasn't just written to Timothy. This is a letter written for a church. And so we receive it that way ourselves. This wasn't just for Timothy's consumption. So it's grace be with all of you. This is for all of you. And then it calls us back to where Paul began the letter. In chapter 1, verse 2, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The letter begins and ends with grace, and so does our experience of God. Grace, we don't deserve it. We could never earn it. Don't ever get over it. It really is amazing. You'll find some questions for further thought in your program. I hope you'll make use of those throughout the week. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this, your word. Thank you for entrusting us with this sacred deposit. Help us, Father, to guard it well. Help us to keep from swerving from it. Let us not be distracted by lesser things. For the sake of those who have yet to hear the message that a Savior has come and has given Himself for them, let us be faithful to that message. I pray that You would use us then in a mighty way to get that message out for Your kingdom's gain and for the sake of Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.